Hello, and welcome to the How Fitting Podcast, where you get to hear from independent fashion designers and entrepreneurs about how they grow their business, making clothes that fit their customer and values. I'm your host, Allison Haynes. Today, I'm joined by Alessandra Corona of River Left. So welcome to the show, Alessandra. Uh, hi, Allison. Thank you so much uh, for including me in the podcast. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yeah. For those listening who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I am the founder of River Left, which is a sustainable washable silk sleepwear line. Um, My background is actually in industrial design, but in the past year, I have um, gone the fashion route and in November launched this line. Nice. So fairly recent, but kind of in the works for a while then, it sounds like. Yes, yes. And I am Chicago-based. And we mostly sell everything on our website, riverleft.com. So check us out. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I will include that in the show notes so people can click through to your site. Perfect. Um, So let's kind of start at the beginning. How did Riverleft begin? Sure. Um, You probably don't know the background of this story, but I actually have had migraines since I was four, really bad chronic migraines. And Mm. in 2018, they got really bad and I was preparing to have a surgery. And so I was like trying to make myself a little bit, you know, cheered up and have something to distract myself. So I wanted something to lounge around in while I was recovering, basically something to feel luxurious in and to distract me. Um, so I knew it, I knew I wanted it to be comfortable and cause I was going to be doing a lot of laying around the house and I'd mm-hmm. be recovering in my parents' house. So me and my mom went shopping for nightgowns. And when we got to the store, the options were either really revealing uh, items that I would not want to wear in front of my parents or (laughs) essentially dowdy moos. And I couldn't find the middle ground. So as I was recovering for the surgery, I was like, uh, maybe I'll design a nightgown for myself. Um, I always wore nightgowns growing up. And I was like, why don't we have these for women that are like flattering and cute? And Mm -hmm. so some of my friends liked the idea. So I thought, okay, I'll make a hundred and sell them in boutiques in Memphis. And then I realized I might as well make 300 since I've got all this experience working with manufacturers from my industrial design background. Mm -hmm. It kind of snowballed from there. And now it's like a whole line of nightgowns and a whole (laughs) brand. And yeah. That's awesome. Um, And really cool that you like, have like a personal connection to like why you wanted to design nightgowns and also like saw the niche in the market. And I totally agree. I've had the same, I think like, you know, when I got married years ago, I was like trying to find something like cute, you know, cause it's like in college, you just wear like t-shirt and shorts. Yeah. To bed. So it's like, mm-hmm. I need, I need some cute sleepwear, you know, that's still like comfortable enough to lounge around in same thing. Totally. So I noticed the same thing as you did where it's like, there's no middle. It's yes, exactly. And of course, at the time of, in 2018, when I started the idea, I had no idea how our world was about to change. Mm-hmm. And um, now that we're in the house all the time, it just makes sense to, you really feel better when you're dressing better So I don't know, waking up and wearing a nightgown versus being in your like old t-shirt and boyfriend's boxers or husband's boxers, it's kind of, you know, you feel more elevated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, So what made you, I mean, you mentioned a little bit because you were looking for a nightgown, but uh, what kind of prompted like, I'm going to go full on and start a brand out of this? Um, well, as I mentioned, it was definitely a snowball effect, but I think that my background in industrial design was what gave me the confidence to do it. I knew I could imply, apply my um, like skills in designing products. So I've designed everything from infant toys, cosmetic accessories, bar accessories. Um, and I had a lot of experience working with manufacturers. 
So I was like, okay, that part of the process would normally be really scary, but I'm comfortable with that. So why not? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Did you ever work with like cut and sew factories, like at, when you were an industrial designer, or did you still kind of have to look like how, how much overlap? I'm not too familiar with, you know, what an industrial designer does day to day, but um, was there indeed a lot of overlap between, you know, designing an apparel product and designing other products? Yeah, I think there was a lot of overlap in terms of process. And I also think that, you know, I don't have a background in fashion design, so I'm not really sure about a lot of the thing, you know, like the process that I should have been doing, but I just applied my industrial design process. So I was, you know, I came up with these sketches. I had prototypes made. I revised the prototypes over and over until they were exactly right. I, you know, in industrial design, you pick out the right materials and color. So I did that with fabrics. That's a whole nother story, but um, <laughs> we can get and, into that in a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and um, in terms of a manufacturer, working with the manufacturer is very similar. Um, you still send over technical specifications, which is what you do in industrial design you check the product before it goes into full production and get, you know, like factory samples. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so that part went really smoothly. Awesome. And yeah, that is, that's really cool. Cause that's often like a really big roadblock for people starting a pale brands that aren't familiar with that process of, you know, all the checks and balances and pre-production and all the little details that had to be worked out and spec'd out before a production run. So mm -hmm. that's really cool. So what was the inspiration for the name River Left? And how did you kind of, like, what did your creative process look like kind of designing the first pieces and like what the vibe and look of your collection would be? Um, yeah, so as you can... Uh, tell by a lot of our imagery on Instagram, I was super inspired by Paris and the name River Left is a reference to the left bank of the Seine. Nice. So yeah, and my father and my closest friend had a, a three-year stint of going to Fête de la Musique, which is a music festival in Paris, but it's not like a normal festival. It's like, it's outdoors in the streets of Paris. There's over 18,000 free concerts in one wow. night on the summer solstice. So like you walk over a bridge and there's a marching band and then you walk past an alley and there's a DJ playing and then you go one block away and there's like a sultry jazz singer. And it's definitely my favorite night of the year. I miss it dearly. We of course have canceled our trip last year and this year, mm. um, but the rest of that trip, you know, we did it for three years in a row and I'd been to Paris a couple other times and we spend it going to museums and sitting in cafes and having these talks about philosophy. And it was on one of these trips where I was like, you know, when you travel, you gain a sense of perspective. And I was like, wow, I think I really want to do this. Like, I want to make this a priority and make this happen. So, um, yeah, and I was also very inspired by the styles in Paris. I, of course, did a lot of observing while I'm there. They're generally known for wearing high-quality basics rather than trends. And the women, rather than being overtly sexual, there's more of an underlying like confidence and mystery. So I wanted to capture that with the collection because it was bridging that gap between um, the sexy and the modest, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I wanted my parents to be able to see me in these nightgowns and me not be mortified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, I've not been to Paris, but I've been to Europe and it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what did, what did kind of the creative process when, you know, designing the pieces based on the inspiration look like? Yeah. So I knew I wanted a range of pieces. Like I wanted a full collection. And the first one that I designed, like the first one I did a sketch of was the St. Germain nightgown. And that nightgown has, it's a mini nightgown with buttons that go all the way down the front. And 
um, I just did a bunch of concept sketches, which is what I would do in industrial design as well. And mm -hmm. I came up with a bunch of different ideas. I mean, I have like hundreds of sketches of different concepts and variations of the same concept. And so I did that and basically just narrowed it down to the ones that I really liked that I felt like looked like a collection. Um, mm -hmm. And I knew I wanted one that was like a little longer and um, I knew I wanted a, a camion short set because a lot of my friends were saying that that's what they would wear to bed instead of a nightgown. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I got there, just a bunch of sketching. And then of course, through the prototyping process, making changes. I really cared about um, the fit of the garments and I wanted women to feel really beautiful in them. So the draping was really important. And so we went through a ton of prototype rounds, like <laughs> probably more than eight rounds. And it took a really long time to develop the garments. You know, I came up with the idea in 2018 and didn't launch until this past November. So we went through a, a lot of rounds just trying to get it exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the first collection does, you know, take that long and then to really build the foundation that you're that you want for the brand. Yeah, and there were other pieces of the process that took a while too, like getting the colors right. And I wanted to, you know, inclusivity is so important. And I we tried the nightgowns on a range of different, um, both body types and skin colors. So we had a plus size model come in and we had a more like sporty figure and more curvy figure just to make sure that the silhouettes would actually look good on everybody yeah yeah and that's great that you did kind of like all that groundwork and I'm sure it really shows in in the final product of you know putting in the effort to to test it on all those different people mm -hmm. um, it takes more work but you know it, it shows that sometimes the little details and I think especially for the type of products you sell the 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 draw is in the details a lot. Yes, I agree. Especially when you're making something that is high quality and meant to last a long time, you've got to get the details right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I'm, I'm all for, you know, testing the fit and getting that right too. Cause I think that goes a long way into kind of the confidence that you talked about. That was mm -hmm. the inspiration for the brand where, it, you know, if something fits your body well, like you just feel more confident because, you know, you're not wondering like, is it me that's wrong or is it the garment that's wrong? You know, like you yeah. just feel like this shows off, you know, mm -hmm. who I am in the best way. Yeah. I mean, you want to feel beautiful in it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you mentioned that Riverleft is a sustainable brand. Why is sustainability important for you? Um, well, obviously it was a passion project. So, you know, I didn't really have any time constraints and I really wanted to get it right. I had a good amount of guilt from my product design career in terms of like, like the infant toys that I designed are going to outlive me, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't like, if something is going to outlive me, then I want it to still be functioning and be used. Mm -hmm. So it was at the forefront of my decision-making um, and some of the things we implemented, the fabric is dyed in a blue, blue sign certified dye house, which is super important because that's where a lot of like the worst, that's like the worst part of the supply chain in terms of sustainability um, in the fashion industry. And our factory is also like shares the same goal of sustainability. They're their roof is literally covered in LED panels and they have a number of environmental initiatives, including reduced emissions. Um, I don't know. I felt like sustainability was a responsibility rather than like a selling point or rather than even like a key feature of the brand, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. So how, how did you know, you've mentioned kind of inclusivity and the 
quality of the, the garment and the fabric and as well as the sustainability. So how, how do those brand values like affect the way you design the sleepwear and even run your business? Like were there other things that, um, you know, either took longer or, you know, you, you did differently in, in the whole process of starting the brand and getting it produced because of those values? Yeah, um, those values are, I mean, it was pretty organic in that like the values were my personal values. So it affects every area of the business. Um, I kind of, I started out with like this like with jumbled together business plan at the beginning, <laughs> which like if I look at that business plan now, it's like a little bit cringe because I clearly didn't know what I was doing at the beginning and I've learned so much. But I think that's um, true of any entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I know, but I did have this list of five things that I wanted to make sure I accomplished when I was coming up with the concept for the brand. Um, that tied in all of my values. I wanted them to be luxurious, comfortable, and low maintenance. So that informed why we ended up moving towards washable silk. Um, and then I wanted them to be ethically manufactured with sustainable materials and also have high quality construction. So like that informed our decisions in choosing French seams, even though they're a bit more expensive and using a heavier weight silk, which is definitely more expensive. But mm -hmm. that also means that you can wear it out of the house in like different situations because the silk isn't see-through. Mm -hmm. And like, I also did some research because I wanted them to be like high quality and last a long time. I did research into um, where nightgowns break the most. And oh, they nice. break in there like on their straps and their strap connections. So we made the straps like an eighth of an inch wider and also have like, more robust both um, slides and loops and the connection to the body. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about it like breaking in that area easily. Um, and obviously that was part of the point of like, I wanted them to outlast a season so that you can wear and treasure them for years. Cause like slow fashion is so important. Um, you know, that kind of tags on to the idea of like wanting things that are going to um, outlive me to still be functioning. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what else? was important. Oh yeah. So the other piece that was on this list of, um, you know, the five things I wanted to make sure I accomplished was to bridge the gap between the moo moo and the overtly sexual, which brings in this idea of like, you know, the, the woman who's wearing this wants to feel empowered and confident and beautiful, but not feel like you know, raunchy or dowdy mm -hmm. on that end. So the pieces needed to be timeless and feminine and to have very flattering silhouettes. Yeah, that's great. So I'm curious kind of at what point since it started kind of as a passion project of like, I want to design a nightgown for myself. Like at what point did you decide this is a business and I'm going to write down like these are my goals and this is my business plan for it? Um, like how, how did that decision come about even? <laughs> um, that's a really good question. I think at the time I was still, and I still am doing um, industrial design work. So I have a little consultancy where I help um, brands develop new products or make their product lines have a cohesive design language. And I was realized I was spending so much time on the like this concept for the sleepwear like I was kind of sucked into it and in order to rationalize my spending time on it I <laughs> needed to make a business plan to make it feel like it was real and it was gonna happen gotcha and, yeah and there were all of these steps along the way where I was like wait is this a real business and then I'm like wait is this a real business and then I got to a point like six months in where I'm like wow this is happening. 
I just need to like dive in and like forget about any like insecurities or worries about this and just like go for it. And that's what I did. (laughs) Nice. I think it's so important to like, you know, have the conversation like this about kind of those decisions because I think so often like we look at you know, brands or entrepreneurs and we're like, wow, they just like did it. How did they like, I could never do that. But then like, there's, there's a point for everybody, you know, even the people we look up to included where, you know, they had to make kind of the same choices of like, I'm spending all this time on this. Is this a real business? Is this not, you know, what, what is my plan? Yeah. Um, and I think that part of kind of starting a business is often overlooked of kind of that in-between stage where is this a hobby or is this a business? Um, Yeah, that is so true. There were (laughs) so many, you know, like waking up at 3 a.m. like thinking, oh my gosh, is this a horrible idea? Mm -hmm. And then um, like I've spent so much time and energy on this. Like I have to actually do it. And then once I just committed to it, it became, everything fell into place. Like it just became so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The decision to like go, go all in is Mm -hmm. like harder than actually doing the work after that. And a lot of people don't have like the luxury to do that. You know, like you have to make sure that you have like the financial stability and backing to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I don't know, you have to, figure out for me I, at the time I was I'm recently engaged but at oh, the time I was thank you um at the time I was starting it I was single and I didn't have any dependence all I was just me and my cat so I had time to do it I didn't have any you know the financial risk was you know I I was the only person that it would be damaging you know what I mean mm-hmm. So it's easy for someone like me to be like, yeah, jump in and just do it. But like, you've got to weigh like all of the factors that you have going on in your life. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, yeah. So what, what has been, I'm curious, what has been one of the biggest challenges so far in starting and now running River Left? Was it kind of that decision of, of, am I going to make this happen or not? Or have there been other things along the way? That was definitely one of the biggest challenges. And I think once I made that decision, it was, I hadn't fully gotten used to learning how to learn things that I didn't know how to do. Mm. If that makes sense. That's like a wordy Mm -hmm. way of expressing that, but Um, I kind of came up with this process of just like teaching myself how to do the things I didn't know how to do, like how to write a, um, a vendor manual and how to figure out international freight. And there were all of these things that I just didn't know how to do, like writing a privacy policy for your website, all of these Mm -hmm. things that like you end up having to do. Um, and as I taught myself different, um, you know, processes over and over and over again. I don't have the fear of failure as much, you know, like I'm not nervous about just figuring out how to do something. I have the confidence to be like, okay, I don't know how to do this. And I, but I know how I'm going to figure it out. Um, and I actually have like an Excel document with all of these resources that I've pulled Um, it would make absolutely no sense to anybody else the way I have it (laughs) laid out, but it's like, oh, my dad's friend from high school, uh, happens to be in, I'm making this up, but like happens to be in international freight. I can call him and talk to him about it, even though he does it for Q-tips or whatever Mm -hmm. it may be, like just using the people in your life that, um, cause it's rewarding for them too, to be able to help people. I've really enjoyed being able to help people as well. Um, and I've had so many incredible people freely give me help, um, and mentor me through the process. And I'm eternally grateful and, um, love to kind of put that karma back out in the world. 
I feel like I got really off topic there. <laughs> no, no, but that was, that's another like great, great um, points to make there. Um, so was kind of the confidence to jump in and learn new things, something that you um, kind of like practice and, and worked at, or was it just something that like you kind of always had and comes with your personality? I do not think that I naturally had that. I feel like it was something that was practiced, but started being practiced since like high school. I've really struggled in school, especially high school. I like always put a lot of pressure on myself to make like, to try to make A's. And I, it, it didn't come easily for me. Like I wasn't somebody that could just do well in school without trying their absolute best. And mm-hmm. so I think that process of just like trying really hard to get things right for so long, um, like built up my confidence because in that case, like if you're studying for an exam, you have to like teach yourself how to learn things versus mm-hmm. like having it spoon fed to you. Um, and it was definitely a learning curve at the beginning of this process because there were a lot of things, the pressure is on, right? Like I've already invested all of this time into this project. And now I have, I've discovered there's like, I have to learn about, um, you know, sales tax and different rules for sales tax in different states and, I have no idea how to even start learning that. And, um, you know, there were things like that where I kind of made a list at the beginning of the things that I knew I would have to do for the business. And within that list, picked out which things I already knew how to do and which things I didn't know how to do. It's kind of hard to talk about without showing it on paper. But basically, I identified the things I didn't know how to do and then started figuring out how to figure those things out. Like not immediately looking for the solutions to the problems, but Mm -hmm. looking for the means to which to find the solutions. And once I got practice doing that, now it it just comes naturally. I love that kind of approach where it's kind of the intermediate step, I think. Yeah. It's easy to look over like, how am I going to figure this out? Mm-hmm. Or with what time am I going to figure this out? Um, yes, prioritizing tasks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to what you said about um, reaching out to people around you that have, you know, expertise in different areas. Um, how, how did you kind of approach those people to ask that? Because I think that's another thing with, you know, running a business is, you know, finding a mentor sometimes can be like really intimidating or... Um, you're like, I don't know, why would this person want to help me? Or how do I ask them for help? So do you have kind of any um, tips on, you know, what you learned or that had worked for you through that process? Yeah, um, that is such a good question that I haven't been asked before. So I'm going to try to answer it as like transparently as I can. I feel like- (laughs) (laughs) kind of threw it on the spot for you. Yeah, no, it's a lot of people volunteered to help me out. So they heard about what I was doing and they reached out. So for example, um, like past bosses reached out, somebody in the C-suite of a company that I used to work at who had just retired reached out. And this is somebody who I admire so much. And um, she reached out and she was like, I heard what you're doing with this. I would love to, you know, get a coffee. And so I was like, so nervous meeting her for coffee. Like somebody I just totally looked up to like a badass businesswoman who's mm-hmm. like super chic, like in a Wintour haircut, like <laughs> amazing woman. And um you know, you just have to like be brave and move past any like nervousness. And I, you know, had a list of things prepared to both show her and to, um, you know, questions to ask. 
And we had a great conversation that lasted three hours on that first like oh, wow. coffee meeting. Yeah. And now I talk with her like very regularly. Um, and she's been an incredible mentor for me. But there were a lot of other people who had small roles throughout the process that were um, very helpful. For example, I have a friend who is a financial analyst in New York. And, you know, I'm a designer. I'm not like, I know my way around an Excel spreadsheet, especially now. But um, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot more of those in fashion than I think the stereotype generally lets on. Oh my gosh. Yes, um, absolutely. But when I was doing like my initial costing and projections, I sent my friend the, um, the document, you know, this is a very close friend that I fully trust. And I was like, hey, can you just take a look at this and make sure I didn't get any of my formulas wrong? And she took a look at it and she gave me all this great feedback. And, you know, I really only needed help with it that one time because she kind of got me set up to be doing it right in the future. But there were a lot of those things where someone only had to help me one time, but, um, you know, it's like, how do you pay those things back? But I think you just pay it forward in time by helping other people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And that was such a great point you made about like going into that first coffee meeting with your questions and your presentation prepared. Um, yeah, because I think that can go a long way to both re- like respect the time of the mentor that you're meeting with mm-hmm. and like making a more productive you know, relationship of just kind of preparing ahead of time, not just going in completely with, with nothing. Oh yeah. If you show up with a notebook with questions, it is such a great sign of respect. And like, you're taking notes, like shows that they're not, it's a sign to them that you're not wasting their time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I would follow up with her after and be like, Hey, I listened to what you said on this topic, this topic, and this topic. And wanted to send you a link to how I updated my website per your suggestion and, or say, you know, I tried this out, but it didn't end up working. Um, and like following up and showing them like it wasn't for nothing. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a great point. Cause I can imagine that's very fulfilling to them to kind of see the progress and kind of like see the outcome of the advice that they gave, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just like out there, you know, in the void, like, you know, you can both kind of celebrate the results. Yes. Um, yes. And then your wins become their wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Those are great, great tips. Um, so back to, I think at the beginning of the interview, you'd mentioned like, it's a whole nother story of finding your washable silk. Um, can we get into that a little bit? What was it like finding the right fabric? Um, cause that's a very specific, you know, list of requirements and, um, yeah, I'd love to hear like what that story is. Yeah. So I wanted, it was really important to me to have the right fabric. And I wanted it to be shiny, not transparent, washable, resistant to wrinkles, um, or at least like steamable, um, Mm -hmm. all while being sustainable, which is very hard to find. I bet. (laughs) (laughs) And so I basically just scoured trade show attendees on different websites. I went to a couple trade shows, but realized that all I needed was the list. Um, Mm -hmm. And I emailed, I just like cold emailed and cold called all of these places with that list saying like, this is what I'm looking for. In some places people would like ship me, um, you know, swatches and I get it in. I'd be like, this is totally not going to work, but, um, we're going in the right direction. And then I think we'd have something and then I'd wash it and it would be like a wrinkled mess. <laughs> um, and I mean, I called one place in, I think it was somewhere in Colorado and I was like, hi, I'm looking for this fabric. And they're like, oh, we're just like a local craft store. Like <laughs> we don't have that type of thing. Like you're looking for bulk fabric. And there were a lot of calls like that where people were like, what are you doing? Like, we only do knit fabrics. (laughs) (laughs) So 
um, the process took a long time. And then I found, yeah, I found a fabric that I really liked and, um, ordered a good amount of it. Not like the whole, not like a ton, but a, you know, a substantial amount. Mm-hmm. And then realized that it does not wash well um, and oh. that it shrunk. So that was definitely a setback. And I had been working, um, I guess for a while, I, I found this great manufacturer and uh, we were about to begin production. And at the same time, the pandemic was kicking in and the world went into lockdown. Um, and like in that final hour, I switched manufacturers and I was like, I've got like, I don't have the best feeling about this. I don't have the best feeling about this fabric. Like this has to be totally right. I'm going to put it on pause. And within one week of that decision, I had a new manufacturer and had found the new fabric. That is what we ended up going with. And it was like definitely the best decision that I've made in this process. Wow. Wow. That was like, I bet that was really difficult though to make that decision in the moment though. It was a very stressful week, but I had had this conversation. So when I went into it, I didn't know a ton about fabrics. And so I educated myself both online and I reached out. I went to SCAD, um, Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm -hmm. And I reached out to their alumni network and their, I don't know, the person that basically sends out their alumni emails, I just respond, like replied to, like, Mm -hmm. and um, was like, hey, I'm starting the sleepwear line and I'm looking for somebody who is, you know, from the fashion department that might know about fabrics that I could chat with. And um, they ended up linking me up with a grad student whose senior thesis was sustainable materials. And yeah, and this one phone call, she totally turned me on to silk. At the time I was like, it's too expensive. Like it's too sheer, all these like assumptions that I had about silk and, you know, it's not washable. And she was like, if you're trying to make a high quality item that is like beautiful and has the best draping and all of the things on my list, this is what you need to go with. And so I kept coming back to that thought and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to just go the silk route. And then I found this incredible silk. So I'm very happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And silk is amazing. I mean, I've worked with some like very heavy so like you just can't beat the drape and like the luster where it's not shiny in a tacky way but it's like shiny in like a really luxurious way um yes it makes yes. it like it's you can tell there's a difference I mean there is there's a price difference and there you know there's a lot of other differences but it looks different and yes. it feels different too than wearing like a polyester satin. yes and it's not synthetic and it the silk that we found is washable like so much so that if you, you can put it on the, um, in the washing machine on like the delicate cycle and it like looks the same after multiple washings as when you got it. Like it maintains that luster. It's seriously like magic fabric. I love it so much. Yeah. And yeah, that's one of the big things with silk is like, if you can, if you could wash it, like it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so I saw on your blog, some different ways that you styled some of your sleepwear and nightgowns, even for the daytime as well. Um, can you share a little bit more about that and some ways that your pieces can kind of transition to multiple uses? Yeah, um, that's been a really fun thing to highlight on our Instagram page. I like recently learned how to make reels Mm. and uh, that's been really fun. Um, But I guess from the start of the whole line, I wanted these you to be able to like run to the mailbox in these pieces. Um, And so 
they're a heavier weight silk. So they're not like totally transparent. The white ones, you can definitely see through a little bit, but like the black ones and the pink ones, you like can absolutely wear out of the house. And I wear the white ones out of the house too, just with like, you know, nude panties underneath. Um, mm -hmm. But I love throwing a cardigan on top for working from home or putting a blazer over it. Um, sometimes I'll throw a sweatshirt on top with sneakers and wear it out of the house. You can wear the cami from the cami and short set just like as a normal camisole. Um, and I think my favorite way to wear them is like for going out to dinner, which obviously we haven't been able to do much of, but I figured out ways to like style them even for like outdoor dinners in Chicago, mm -hmm. like with, um, a turtleneck underneath and a um, like stylish coat on top with tights and knee high boots. Um, or like if you are able to go indoors safely um, to put like a chic blazer on top with heels and they end up like no one would ever know that they're nightgowns. Yeah, that, those outfits sound super cute. Yeah. And like, along with like making making the garments kind of outlive you, you talked about, it's like being able to style them different ways and, you know, style them for winter or for, you know, outdoors in Chicago, it's pretty cold. Um, yeah. And then, um, you, you know, for, for summer too, or just wear them as is with the, with the straps. Yeah. Um, I think that's also a big part of, making clothes last is being able to wear them in many different ways so that's mm -hmm. really cool I think so too and I love that like I never from the get-go wouldn't have thought about these for work from home because I didn't know that work from home was gonna be a thing mm -hmm. but they're so perfect for that I mean right now I'm wearing a cardigan on top of one and it's like it's so much chicer than, you know, people will put like a cute top and then put sweatpants on the bottom. And it's like, you don't want to be wearing your trousers around the house, but also sweatpants feel a little bit dumpy. Mm -hmm. So it just feels so much better to be wearing something that like feels elegant. Yeah. Yeah. Helps boost your mood while you're stuck at home. Exactly. Yeah. It's like having a fashion moment at home. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what is a moment or something in River Left that you're most proud of? I think it's the garments themselves. They turned out, I think they turned out really good. I love the fabric and uh, the construction. I'm super happy with the manufacturing partner we have in terms of like how consistent the quality is for each gown. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm really proud of, I mean, I'm a product focused person. That's how I, that's been my career. So I'm really proud that I like made a product that I can truly stand behind that I don't feel guilty about because I, it's sustainable and they're ethically made. Um, you know, getting recognition in Vogue and Fast Company has been fun too. But uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. That's super exciting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the garments themselves are what I'm most proud of. Cool. Yeah, I saw that. Was it Vogue that you're um, just featured in the other day? Yeah, I was featured in Fast Company last week as like one of the best women-owned. Um, lingerie companies which technically we're a sleepwear company but I'll take it <laughs> and um featured in Vogue as like there is an editor editor that found our product that mentioned it as like for her Valentine's Day plans to like slip into our sleep set and um you know pour a glass of wine and have make herself a feast for her Valentine's plans so I nice. love that. Yeah, yeah. I can totally, I can totally see it. Yes. It, it has that vibe of like really elegant, but also really comfy if you're doing like Valentine's at home. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what's next for River Left? Um, 
I'm mostly going with the flow right now. Um, definitely all about raising awareness for the brand. Um, you know, we're still so, you, we just launched, it feels like. Um, I guess it's been a few months, but, you know, I can't wait in once things become a little bit safer to do pop-up shops and actually connect with customers. It's been mm -hmm. so fun to like meet these like random people who are buying the product online and like sometimes I'll send letters to our customers thanking them. And, um, you know, I love hearing from people in our um, DMs and like actually connecting with people and hearing about what they want more of or what they loved or what they, um, you know, wish we could make in the future. So that, you know, all of that has been really fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how have you been, like, how did you initially kind of get the word out about your brand and, you know, get featured in these big publications so early in your brand? Like, was that a strategic um, thing that you like reached out and did, or are people finding you for that? Um, the first time, I think the first feature that we got was actually in British Vogue and uh -huh. somehow, okay. So I started from like, I guess maybe in 2018, I started the Instagram for River Left um, and okay. it was very much like a mood board. And so I started posting almost every day starting in 2018 and before I even had any products posted to the page, um, Vogue UK reached out to me and said they had noticed the brand and asked if I had any photography. And I didn't have any photography at the time. Like I had just gotten my um, first um, samples from the factory. And um it was like right when the pandemic was starting. So I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do photography? Mm -hmm. And so I called up my best friend and I was going down to Memphis to kind of like quarantine in a house rather than like my studio apartment in Chicago. <laughs> and we ended up doing the photo shoot in my parents' house with my best friend as the model and my boyfriend did the photography. And so like none of us were professionals, but the photos for Vogue ended up being beautiful um, and were featured in both their magazine and on their website. So that was definitely the beginning and then definitely through Instagram and also like um, cold emailing, which is like, honestly is so hard. Like for every 100 people you reach out to, you may get one person that like responds, but Mm -hmm. um, that's been, you know, good too. Awesome. So it sounds like it's kind of a combination of like your hard work and reaching out and, you know, throwing together a last minute photo shoot under mm -hmm. pandemic circumstances and yes. yeah, kind of the diligence of like starting the social media page, even before you had the product. Cause yeah, it's like mm -hmm. building that audience as soon as possible is, you know, so important. So that's really yeah. Cool. We also started an email list early on, and I was sending like wellness tips and links of the week and just updates on the product development process. So people like seeing that too. Cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, do you still do you still do a similar thing on your email list? And then you know, mixing in now, you do have products too. Um. We haven't been sending as many like links of the week and stuff, but that's mostly because I haven't wanted to overwhelm people with emails. Like I don't want it to get spammy. And mm -hmm. since we've been sending out, you know, it was December and then, and then of course now it's been like around Valentine's day. So our messaging has been mostly around the holidays, but when the holidays kind of go away and there's more of like a lull, I would love to keep offering um, those types of links and experiences within our emails rather than it just being about the products. But we also share things like, Hey, we just got re featured in Vogue. And, you know, a lot of the followers are like my family members. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So it's still like part of that, you know, I'm definitely still the one writing all of these emails and like sending them from the heart. So Mm -hmm. that's cool though. Again, it's like celebrate, celebrate each step. Yes. Yes. Cool. So I have one more question that I ask everyone at the end of the interview, which is if you could communicate one value to the world through the clothes you design, what would it be? Um, I love this question. I would want the value is that I would want women to feel like the confident, elegant beings that they are. Um, it's not like I want to shout that from the rooftops, like river left is here for that. But, um, I want it to be communicated in like the little personal moments with the garments So like when she puts on her nightgown after a warm bath and like is having an evening to herself to like feel beautiful and luxurious. And, um, you know, when she slides into a sweater to run to the farmer's market, you know, like puts it on over her sweater after she's been wearing the nightgown around the house that morning, like she still feels chic and she's like, I don't know. It's those like little quiet moments or like, Mm -hmm you know, when she slides onto the bar stool while waiting for her date to show up and she's got the Rodan nightgown on with the blazer on top and she like feels the silk and she feels beautiful and confident. Um, I don't know. Those are the little moments, especially now. I feel like there's such a focus on like your like inner world and those little moments and how valuable they are. And mm-hmm. I want women to feel their best in those moments. And that's great. I love that answer. And kind of like the tactile touch of it, as well as like how it makes us feel on the inside too. Yeah. That's awesome. So this has been so fun to get to know you and hear more about River Left. Um, Where can people find more about you online? Um, Our website is riverleftsleep.com. And um, we are very active on Instagram. Check out our reels. Um, I just started posting them. So hopefully I'll keep doing it. Our Instagram is at River Left Sleep. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for joining me today, Alessandra. Thank you, Allison. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Haynes, and I hope you join me again for the next episode of How Fitting.